Hey, Melody. Hey, Peter. Hey, listeners. Dude, it's summer. Why are we here? Because <laughs> <laughs> you and I foolishly agreed to run a How College Works workshop for one hour a day at 8.30 in the morning for four days. Oh. <laughs> it's good. It is good. So what follows is a live recording of us talking with actual real-life high school students. And they willingly, most of them at least, signed up for this class based on the title. I assume they had no idea what time it was. <laughs> yeah, 8.30. For you, dear listeners, what this means is that there will be background noise. It mm -hmm. might be a little bit more difficult to hear us. I've done what I can to edit out major digressions, as always. Well, and the students are sometimes harder to hear because some of them sit further back. Some of them are more soft, softly spoken. But we did get permission to record them. It's true. Um, I did not just hide the microphone in the room. <laughs> and so these are questions that they asked. Most of them felt comfortable enough to interrupt us and ask questions, which was great. Very good. Um, so we just started talking with the idea that we would get questions from them eventually, but they didn't let us get that far. <laughs> right. So, yeah, they tend to interrupt us. We tend to get a little bit off, off topic more than we do here, and not that we're on topic all the time in my office. Well, but it's summer, so it's like, okay, it's okay. It's okay, it's okay, it's cash. Well, and also there are notes that I wrote on the board, so you might hear people ask, what does that say under that? Apparently can't read my writing, which I think is awful for them, because my writing is awesome. But... Your writing is better than mine. Yeah. But yeah. So if things seem to come out of nowhere a little bit, I might have edited it for clarity or for length, and if they're referring to things that you can't see because this is an audio medium, because there's something written on the board. So we hope you enjoy the, uh, these next few episodes and that probably cover a little bit of material we already have, but hopefully it'll be enjoyable to listen to some live people who are high school students ask us questions. Who really don't know how college works all the time. So true. Yeah. All right. Enjoy the show. Bye. Welcome to How College Works. I'm Peter Highland. You can call me Peter. I understand that that's a little weird for many people. So you can call me Dr. Highland or Professor Highland if calling me Peter is too weird. I'm Melody Denny. You can call me Melody. What's up? <laughs> Evidently, you have only one option, which is to call Melody Melody. You can call me, yeah, yes. <laughs> it's cash. OK, outline what we're going to do our time together here every morning, every morning, ladies, every morning, we're gonna start with this ball of energy here. <laughs> so first of all, you're gonna give us something to work with, and that's gonna come in just a minute. Uh, we're gonna talk about how our jobs differ from high school teachers. So our jobs are different than your high school teacher's jobs, and that has major repercussions for you when you come to college, not just here, but to any college. And so part of what the podcast and part of what this is about is helping you understand what those differences are. So when you roll into my office and you're all like, I don't like how you're doing stuff in class. And you may know people who like would do that in high school and that actually pays dividends, like things change for them. If you come into my office and be all like, mm, I don't like how you're doing that, that's not gonna go well for you here in college because the entire system is set up differently. So we wanna talk about why that is, and so you understand sort of what situation you're walking into when you're dealing with professors. Not that everything is always combative or anything like that, but just so you know what our jobs are, like what we get paid to do, so you have a better idea for what you can ask of us, which is a lot, but just so you know. 
Tuesday. How well do you know college? So when we come to the form in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to tell me like what you are sure is true about college. And so that's gonna to be tomorrow, is we're gonna go through those and be like, all right, here's the things that you are sure about college, and some of these are right, and some of these might be wrong. On Wednesday, it'll be writing. It's gonna be all melody all the time for writing, because she is a rhetorician. When you know people are like, oh, I'm gonna be an English major, right? And you're like, oh, I better watch my spelling and grammar around you. When it comes to actual PhDs, an English PhD is what's called a literature PhD. That's my, what my wife has. She does not do spelling, punctuation, and grammar. That's not how she spent her time. That's how Melody spent her time. <laughs> wow, I sound so exciting. I mean, it's interesting stuff. Not really. I, I mean, not spelling, punctuation, and grammar. Way to sell yourself short. I'm just saying, I don't, those things don't matter as much to me as logical arguments. Okay, I'll, I'll buy that. Okay. All right, so anyway. So a rhetorician is much more what you think of in terms of the mechanics of writing, and so Melly's gonna to talk to you about what the differences between what most of you have, have had in terms of high school writing and college writing. What is it that we're looking for? What is it that we expect of you? What is it that we want from you? And those, some of those are gonna be very different than what you have in high school. Thursday, student entitlement, what not to do. So once we have developed a rapport with you, <laughs> then we're going to talk about the things that some of the students we have had have done that we find uh, not so good. And student entitlement is something that teachers and professors talk about. And we're going to sort of break that down and what does that mean? And what are the things that students do that to us mean student entitlement? And I think many of the things that to us mean student entitlement are not really an entitled student. It's just, again, it's this difference between the, the environment of being a high school student and being a college student, there are different expectations that you have that are very reasonable in high school, that are not so reasonable in college. And for a college professor who's not thinking about things, that will read as entitled. And then they'll get- Pissy. Yeah, that is the word I was thinking of. I was trying to think of a different word that wasn't pissy, but pissy is a good word. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have been a graduate student at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I have uh, been a postdoc and taught classes at Newport University. I Learning lab at MIT, and I taught at the Northern Arts. How's MIT? Was that interesting? It was very interesting. But I was they still also in the teaching and learning lab, so I was much on the on these administrative side of things as opposed to the faculty, which means nothing to you right now. But also was I did curriculum development and assessment. That's gonna be stressful. It's pretty chill where I was, but I was not a faculty member. If I was a faculty member in the physics department, I would say, yeah, that'd be stressful. But like, I was like, no, I don't want that job. This other job looks much more interesting. It's like the question of will your professors know who you are, that's obviously going to be context specific. True. Like here, yes. In a lecture room with 500 students, probably not. Unlikely. I can like answer this on? one. Are you really as good of a writer as your teacher says? Probably not. Sorry. <laughs> How do you address the professor? I, the shortest answer is pay attention to what they say. If they come in and say, I'm Dr. Highland, then you should refer to them and address them as Dr. Highland. I came in and said, call me Peter. If that's uncomfortable, call me Dr. Highland, Professor Highland. Either one of those is fine. So I prefer that you call me Peter. But I also understand that that's not really a thing that many uh, first semester or first year college students are comfortable with. And so I give you other options. Uh, if you go look at their door, uh, if there's a plaque in front of almost every professor's door that tells you what they are. 
It says assistant professor, associate professor, professor, blah, blah, blah. Generally speaking, professor, blah, 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 is fine and is going to be safe. There are situations where somebody is a professor but not a doctor, or somebody is a lecturer and not a professor. What's the between a professor and a lecturer? <laughs> Status and pay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so we can get into some of this. There are, there are two types of faculty, or two types of instructors is the generic term. Are you gonna write this down? Sure. So there are two types of instructors at the college level. There are tenure track professors or instructors, and there are non-tenure track professors and instructors. Tenure means basically guaranteed employment. So when Melly and I achieve tenure, we are guaranteed to be employed here for as long as we maintain good standing. And maintaining good standing is really easy once you achieve tenure. It becomes difficult to get rid of us. Yes. Do you receive that whenever like students like you enough, or is that like a... Ah, that's a good question. No. <laughs> yes, sort of, not really. So the answer to that is there are student evaluations. You know, every semester, all my classes are evaluated. My students fill out forms, if I can get them to, about the quality of my instruction, how prepared I was. There's a lot of sort of general questions which are, they're asked about. So basically trying to get at how good a class was my class. How good an instructor was I as an instructor? However, those are taken with a grain of salt. The people who decide whether I receive tenure or not is not the students, though their input may be solicited. The people who decide whether I have tenure are other tenured faculty members. Define solicited. When I go up for tenure, the here it's called the personnel committee, but it goes by different names. This is a committee that is made up of already tenured faculty members. They will send an email out to the entire campus, both the faculty and the students and the staff and administration, and say, these people are going up for tenure. If you would like to please submit a letter, whether in support or against support, or against my receiving tenure, and send it to the personnel committee. And so I might go around as well and go to my students and say, hey, would you write a letter in support of my tenure? Or I might go to my colleagues and say, would you write a letter in support of my tenure? And all those letters get collected by the personnel committee. They read what's called my dossier, which is my collection of all the evidence I have collected to show that I am a good quality instructor and should be the college should keep me here. They read through those letters and then they make a decision. But they've gone through this entire process as well. And certainly there are things where there are pedagogical techniques. Pedagogy, is that a word you know? It means teaching. So pedagogy is, is teaching. There are techniques which are effective, but you don't like. So there are, so I have a friend in graduate school. He was a fantastic TA. His students hated him. <laughs> so when he had his uh, course evaluations, he was ranked like low. It was that a five? He was like a two and a half or two or something. It was really distraught. But if you go look at the GPAs in that class of the students, his students were above the average. They didn't like the way he did it, but he really served them because they did better in that class than all the than on average than the other students in that class. His his grade was like noticeably higher than the average of the other sections in that class. So that's something which professors and faculty are aware of. Is there are things that we do which we are sure and we we are convinced are good for you that you don't like. And you may come at the end of that semester and be like, I hated it. It made me work so hard. It seemed all disjointed and blah, 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 and like random, random, all caps sort of a thing. It's like you're sending a text to your friend, all right? 
And then the personnel committee reads that and is like, well, I've had this review before, and I didn't buy it. Also, writing all caps means we're not going to take you seriously. Keep that, just keep that in mind. And, and speaking in generalities means we won't take you seriously. We're like, Melody was never prepared. And she like never like was good about her assignments. Okay, that's very general. But if you can say specifically how she was unprepared and how she backtracked on her assignments, that carries a lot more weight. So the audience of who's going to read this is different than you might think. So that personnel committee then makes a decision to recommend whether I received him or not. This will happen at the end of, for me, at the end of next spring. It's typically between five, like between years five and six, right? Uh, five to seven years, but yeah. Tenure is based on these things. So peers feedback, like Peter was saying, those solicited letters, those count. Also, we have teaching observations where they come in and watch us and they fill out these forms that goes in our dossier. So teaching is a huge part of that and student emails are part of teaching. So for us, this is a teaching institute, so that's weighted pretty heavily. At other places, research and publishing is very important, so that might be weighted more. I mean, it's still weighted here, we still have to do it. And then service to the college, like committees, advising students. I don't know, this, <laughs> this counts. This is kind of a recruiting kind of situation and we're giving our time during the summer. So this counts as service of some sort. Where yeah. would publishing and research be like the main Research one institutes. Yeah, so if you go to, if you're like, I want to go to UT Austin, Harvard, Stanford, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, uh, University of Wisconsin, Madison, any big state school which has lots of money from research coming in, those institutions are going to favor research very, very highly. And so there will be professors there who can get tenure based almost completely, almost solely upon the research money they're bringing in. If they're bringing in like a million dollars each year in grant money, they're basically going, like, there's, like they have to really screw up in the classroom. And even then, they just have them teach graduate students. They just don't have them teach you. Yeah. That's the way that one works. And they're all like, oh, they are a shitty teacher. They're like, okay, graduate students, you get the shitty teacher because we expect you to be able to just handle that. And they just keep them away from the undergraduates, usually is the way that works. Well, and uh, so he said a million dollar grants. I teach English. That's never happening in the humanities. Let's just be clear. That's a if science If thing. you're publishing like number one bestsellers or whatever or... <laughs> Not even that. They don't care about that. Like no no one's academic book is number one bestseller or anything. It's too, no. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I mean, if I decided... I take that back. If I were to publish like a romance novel, that wouldn't really count toward my academic dossier. They'd be like, well, that's cool. That's true. That's true. But if you're publishing in prestigious academic journals, yes. if you are, you know, uh, editing uh, anthologies, yes. that sort of thing. So in terms of like lecturers, she was asking like, well, what's the difference between a professor and a lecturer? It often comes down between tenure and non-tenure track. But lecturers are teachers. They're yes. teachers, but, but they. So when I when I'm granted tenure, knock on wood. Is it like more of a status thing? I'm guaranteed employment when I get tenure. A lecturer is never guaranteed employment. Uh, They're on one-year contracts, year-to-year, -year, very contingent upon enrollment and budgets, yeah. Yeah, lectures and adjuncts are generally the first to go if enrollment drops. If the, so if the English department has an adjunct professor, 
who's there to help you know, cover the load that they need to teach those classes, and enrollment drops, and, and the adjuncts section filled, but Melody needs a section. They boot the adjunct and they give those students to Melody's section. Those poor students. So the more students you have, the better you are? Yeah, no. kind I of. Mean, we are required to maintain a certain amount of teaching. So a number of credit hours per semester on average in order to basically fulfill, fulfilling our duty to the, uh, the college and university in terms of teaching. And so if we are under enrolled, that can be a problem. So if our classes don't have enough students so that those classes then get canceled, then that, if that's a consistent problem, then that's a problem for us. If I, that happens to me, then I eventually my boss comes to talk and says, you're under-enrolled all the time. We need a plan because if you continue to be under-enrolled, that is one of the very few things here that you can fire me as a tenured professor for is being chronically under-enrolled. That's, that's not true everywhere, but here it is. What's under-enrolled? So I am required to teach a minimum of 12 credit hours a semester on average. I can teach a little low one semester, a little higher another semester. That's fine. But that's for Melody's classes that are three credit hours. That's four classes a semester. She has to teach four credit classes a semester. For me, when I teach labs, that's three classes because it's usually four credits for a lab course. If my classes don't make, if I offer an astronomy course or a physics course that doesn't have enough students that enroll into it, eventually that class gets canceled before the semester starts. So that means that instead of teaching three classes, I'm teaching two. Now I'm only teaching eight credit hours. And so now I am I'm light, my load is light. I am under-enrolled. I didn't get enough students to sign up for my classes, and now I'm not fulfilling my duty to actually teach the classes that the college needs. So here we have a really low number. We are a small, small school, so we have five. 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 Well, I need five students to sign up for my class, and it will make, and I can run it. But there are lots of places where you have to have 15, 20. I mean, if you have a class that's capped at 35, you're not going to run it with five students. That's not very effective or efficient in terms of spending money on teaching, you know, paying people to teach. So what makes college fun? <laughs> All of that. I mean, in terms, so one of the things is that this is, this is how our jobs work. Your job is to come here and do, do what you do. So this is not a standardized testing environment so much. So at the end of, so my, my brother teaches or has taught high school in California. At the end of every year, there are standardized tests, which then they are ostensibly testing the students, but they're really testing the instruction. They're testing the high school. How well is the high school performing at teaching That's the students? That's how they get money. Yeah, they have, to they have to get enough test scores to get the money for that. That's not the way this works here. Here is, uh, is a different setup. You don't have to perform on standardized tests. You have to perform on my tests. I write my tests and my students don't like it. I write my tests like two days before. That way they, because I feel it puts me in sort of an ethical weird position. If I've already written the test a week ahead of time, they come in and ask me a question. It's like, okay. Well, she's asking about a question which is really close to the question I've actually written on the exam at this point. Do I move in to talk about that, or should I not? Am I giving her an advantage or not? I mean, so I write it very close to the exam. Um, but it also means like my exams are not standardized. They are 
literally with just problems for the exam. It's not like a scan trial or anything like that. Um, but it also means that you only need to fulfill the requirements to get a major in, at the college university. Do what you want to do. It's not up to us anymore. It's up to you when you get to college. You get to pick what you want to do and you get to go and do it. You might have things like your parents require some stuff. But uh, aside from that, you know, you can do whatever you want. Okay. I heard there doesn't have to be a semester test. No. You have know, a final? I don't give finals. Some people do, though. Some people do. But I don't, give, I don't tend to give cumulative finals on my, in my classes because they build. And I don't, it seems like giving you a test on the last three chapters of material and then giving you a final seems kind of pointless. Because if you didn't get the, the material on the first <coughs> two tests, you've already <laughs> failing the third test. I see no reason to give you a fourth failing grade. Unless you just like to fail that some professors like that. Thank you. <laughs> Different. <laughs> Different kind. <laughs> All right. Ooh, some excellent questions. Can I come to you outside of class and have you explain the subject differently? Instead of telling you to teach differently, can I ask you to, uh, to in a one-on-one -on -one setting? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I think is, is good, especially here at smaller colleges or more large colleges where there's much more contact between students and teachers is that you can absolutely be able to like, hey, um, I don't quite get that. Could you explain it again maybe a little bit differently? And generally, we're pretty open to doing that. And you might run into some professors because we are actual people, and some people are mean. <laughs> I mean so you might run into a mean professor. You'll probably know that's them when you get there. You'll be like, oh, yeah, don't want to ask them anything. Okay. But assuming that they're not crazy people, you can <laughs> you go ahead. You have to be crazy to be mean. OK, assuming they're not mean, Crazy, crazy me. <laughs> then you can say, I, I don't quite understand. I, lo I, I lost at this point. I mean, part of the thing for that conversation is to help them understand where it is that you got lost. What is it that didn't make sense? Our job is to help you understand. And so, if you can help us to know when things stop making sense, it really helps us to help you have things make sense. Yes. Okay. So a lot of other colleges talk about student resources, like um, tutoring centers or what. I haven't heard much about that at this college. So say you say something, and I have no idea what you're saying, and then you continue to explain it, I still have no idea. So I go to my pals. But is there a spot here at this specific college where I can go to my pals besides like my suite? Like, is there yes. any of the areas? Yes. yes. So we do have a learning center that has subject area tutors, and those tutors are recommended by subject area professors. So Peter can say, hey, so-and-so, you're really awesome at astronomy or physics. And they can they get trained on how to work with people one on one and all, not how to do their work, but to help them facilitate. And then we also have a writing center, which I'm in charge of, and so we have a special set of tutors to work with writing. And it's free. It's walk in. You just go down there during the evenings. It's in the library. They can help with homework, study skills, understanding content. They're like, I read this chapter, and I'm like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they can help with that too, and they can help with any sort of writing assignment. And that's very common. You'll probably find that at all of the colleges or universities that you're applying to. Tutoring centers and writing centers are probably at 99% of the places you're going to, not 100%. And they're almost always free. And most professors have what are called office hours, times outside of class, where we are going to be sitting in our office uh, available for you to come ask us questions. And do take advantage of those. Come in and ask questions. That's a really good time to come in and say, I didn't get this in class. Could you help me to understand it? And it'll be just one on one. Mm -hmm. um, many professors will be um, happy to make appointments if the office hours don't work. 
So this is a little different. So when I say you're doing it wrong, do it differently, it's more of like, I don't like the labs, stop the labs. Like, I can't do that. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, or, I like This book like, sucks. Do we like, have to write so much? It's a writing class, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But like, this book is difficult. It's like, I cannot switch books in the middle of the semester. It's good feedback, but like, coming in and be all like, we need to change your books. Like, okay, A. No. That's not No. You tell me what to do, I don't like that. B, like I can't in the middle of the semester. I like, literally cannot. I think I'm legally required to maintain this, the books that I have put on uh, into the bookstore to say these are the books we're going to use. I have to use those books. I can't be all like, and so now we're doing something else. Charge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bas yeah. Basically. And to a point, we have to work within the system too. We have to think about other students who've already spent money on the books or whatever. So, so can you, you guys specify the difference between graduates and undergraduates? And Minors and majors. <laughs> sure. Okay. Graduates and undergraduates. Here we do not have, I don't think, graduate degrees. A graduate degree is anything above a baccalaureate or a bachelor's degree. So a master's, a master's or a PhD, an MD, a Juris Doctorate, a JD, these are all graduates level degrees. Um, a master's of fine arts, kind of thing. So these, anything that assumes or requires that you have a, uh, a, a major already, a degree already, is a graduate level degree. A uh, undergraduate is anybody who's at college to earn a bachelor's level degree. So if you're an English major, a science major, an engineering major, uh, history, what, if you're going to graduate and walk and get a degree that says, I majored in blah, you are an undergraduate student. So if you're a bachelor, Yes. You're a graduate. If you have a bachelor's degree, yeah. you're no longer, so I should say student. So if you have a degree and then you go out into the workforce, you're, you're a college graduate, but you're not a graduate student because you're not going to school to get that graduate degree. Yes. So like straight coming from high school into college next year, you'd be an undergraduate. Yes. That is correct. Yes. Yes. What degrees do you want to have to be a professor? It's <laughs> a good question. It's a good question. Um, short answer, truthful answer is none. <laughs> That's not really the case most places. Okay. Generally speaking, we want you, everywhere wants you to have a terminal degree. So a terminal degree means that it is the highest degree in that field. For physics, that's a PhD. For composition and rhetoric, that is a PhD. Uh, for some fields, there is no, there are no or very few PhD programs in them, and so a master's counts as a terminal degree, or a master's of fine arts counts as a terminal degree, which is which would then allow you to be a professor. But being a professor only requires that the personnel committee or whatever the appropriate committee in that college or university is say that you are professor material. That's all that's actually required. I've had a very good mentor at one of the institutions that I was at who uh, was a professor of mathematics and had worked in designing supercomputers, did not have a PhD. He was, had gone to graduate school and got poached from graduate school to go work at some supercomputer company and then decided like this is not cool, started teaching on the side and then like came in, got hired and then became a professor. But he did not have a PhD. So generally speaking, 
PhD or a master's, depending on the field, but actually our network partners aside from the rest of us say yes. Um, is there like an average number of years for how long it takes to get each degree? Yes. Uh, yes. I, I think. Oh my god. <laughs> so I, I think we're starting to get closer to five years on average for an undergraduate degree in, in the United States. Though four years is what it's meant to be. Almost everybody sets up a major to be a four-year progression. Often the, the first year, year and a half, is with some low-level courses within that major and some breadth courses of some description for the college. And then as you go on, you get more and more advanced and focused classes within that major. So most uh, undergraduate majors are meant to be done in four years. What if you just want to get your associate's degree? Those are two-year degrees. Most associate's degrees, if you go to, the home, the, go to school the entire time, you should be done in two years. So baccalaureate degrees are four-year degrees. Master's degrees are another year or two on top of a bachelor's. In the sciences, they're a year or two. In the sciences. In the humanities, they can be up to three. Is there like, um, like, is it associates versus bachelors? Is there certain programs that only allow associates, like in general, and that you only need an associates to get into that general field, or is it better to just go for bachelor? Like, what's the advantage of going for associates? A lot of associates degrees are for like, um, like technical schools will grant associates degrees, like for be like a legal assistant is an associate's program, a dental assistant can be an associate's program. Um, people work in medical offices with medical paperwork, that's an associate's program. So it just kind of depends on what you're wanting. A bachelor's degree wouldn't help you if you're like, well, I want to be a dental assistant. Associates are more focused. They tend to be. They tend to be more focused. Go more, not more places, that sounds bad. But you have a broader, uh, yeah, if, if, you come, if you come here and have a bachelor's degree of any sort, you, we require you, because we are a liberal arts institution, to take classes in a breadth of topics so that our, our philosophy is that we want our students to graduate not just with skills that allow them to get a job and lead a comfortable life, but also to be well-rounded human beings and individuals, and we believe that requires you to have some understanding of math, social sciences, sciences, humanities, and fine arts. All of those are what make me feel the most well-rounded and the most joyful human being. PhDs really depends on the field. For physics, the average is six years. Oh, really? Yeah. How much, how long did yours take? Six years. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> In humanities, say English, the average is? The average is actually, I think, eight. Yes. Did mine in five, though. Oh, good word. Yeah. So, uh, so like freshman year of college to your PhD, oh, no, no, no. five no. years after your master's. Yes. Five years after. I spent six years in graduate school at the University of Wisconsin Madison. From the time I set foot on campus to the time I left with a PhD. Yes. If say um, you want to be hired by some big business, are they going to be like, is it preferable to say like, oh, I went to Harvard, than say like, it depends on where you are in your career. And I'm it not gonna on lie. The company too. And it depends on the company. Okay. So I'm not gonna lie. Harvard will open doors for you. Okay? <laughs> that is true. If you get into Harvard, seriously consider going to Harvard. Okay? <laughs> it's gonna be really hard, don't get me wrong. Because it's Harvard. But But you went you, to Harvard. But yes, it's true. <laughs> after one or two jobs, it don't matter no more. 
<laughs> because if you have a Harvard degree and you screw up the job and you're like, all right, now I'm leaving Dr. Highland's business, I'm going to Dr. Denny's business, and they're like, they call me up, they're like, nah, she didn't work. She's lazy. So you're like, okay, Harvard degree don't mean nothing if you're not going to do the work. But so as you keep going, the the prestige of that degree becomes less and less important because the work that you have done becomes more and more important. So yes, Harvard will open doors. MIT, Stanford, these are open doors for you. Cadi will open different doors for you. Yeah, but I you can't, it doesn't mean you can't get the same place. It doesn't mean that you don't get different, very important uh, experiences taking those different routes. And there are some businesses that are like, we're a Harvard company, we hire a ton of Harvard grads, and they'll kind of look at those people differently, and they yeah. will pull from that <coughs> one. But there are others who are like, do you have a degree? Sweet. <laughs> yeah. And what high school teachers tell us about hours and hours of homework, too. What, what do they, they tell you? you? It's hours of reading, and... Yes. I mean, it's three hours every hour in class. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. That's why you're a full-time student. Yes. Um, what is like concerning majors and minors? What is it when people are just saying they like double majors Ooh. or something? Or so I was going to ask you, Peter, because I started over here. <laughs> So a major is a main area of study, and I knew how many credits for a minor, somewhere between 15 and 20 credits make up a minor. It's different depending on the degree. I think our English major is 36 to 39 credits in the major. Oh wow, okay. Health sciences is like, oh, but they include all the things. Yeah, yeah those so are just, I don't know. Uh, So a major is probably something close to twice the credits of a minor. Okay, yeah. so majors versus minors. Majors give you the degree. I have a degree in physics. So I have a bachelor's in BS, a bachelor's in science and physics, so that is my major. I minored in mathematics, and so I have a math minor. So that means that the, um, this, the courses that I took and the focus of my time in college was on physics, on doing physics, learning physics uh, while I was there. And I had a sub sort of little focus on learning math, calculus, differential equations, complex analysis. Oh, no one man, cares. Complex is awesome. <laughs> anyway, you don't care. Uh, yes? So I can do, I can major in college, but I can minor in business. Yes. Yep. Or Absolutely. vice versa, depending on the school. Yeah, so yeah. The majors and minors are set by the departments. So the department has to decide to offer the major, the department also has to decide to offer the minor. So some places, You'll be able to major but not minor. Um, probably more often is that you can minor but not major. Yeah. That they just don't have the, the, the faculty, the number of people required to teach basically twice as many courses. So a minor usually is something, it's not an associate's degree, but it's similar in its narrow focus. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go quite as deep into the field. So my math minor didn't require me to take nearly as many courses as a math major did. But I still had to take a good number of math courses. Yes, yes, I'm here. <laughs> What's the word under the master's structure? Doctorate. I know, but I meant like under, under that word. A jurist. jurist doctorate. What's that? It's a. That he, means you were a lawyer. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> he said it, so I was trying to write it. <laughs> yeah, so a jurist doctorate means you have a law degree. They call the it PhD a JD for short. JD, yeah. PhD after my name means that I'm titled to be called doctor forever and ever. Amen, because I've earned a doctorate in physics. If someone earns a JD, they are Esquire. Esquire. That is that is their official title, like doctor for me. I just want to get that so I can be Esquire. Esquire, yes. Um, 
about what elective credits are but basically what it boils down to is you can earn any major you want as long as you can complete all the classes that are required you can earn a double major as long as you can complete all the classes required that might mean that you are here or there for five years to complete all those classes but you so, can do it but you I'll can do it do same it is true for for minors you can take all the minors you want you just got to get all the time in to do that 